welcome to the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. My name is Bradford Cooper, and I'll be your host. Today's focus is on the word resilience. Now, if you're thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard all about that. I get it. It's a concept that's impossible to avoid. You, you hear it at conferences. You, you read it in articles, the headline news, the sports talk shows. Everybody's using it. But I'm not sure many people know what it really means. Now, today's guest definitely knows everything there is to know about what resilience really is. Dr. Chris Bryan did his PhD research on psychological resilience across both work and sports psychology areas. Now, in terms of background, this is, this is pretty interesting. He was a top international swimmer for Ireland for more than a decade, narrowly missing, missing out on the 2012 Olympics in a photo finish after fighting through contracting shingles in the time that led up to that competition. Can you even imagine? He is currently living in Dubai and managing a sports coaching business, and his research examines how individuals can learn to persist, bounce back, and develop from a variety of adversities. Dr. Brian and I met when we were both speaking at a conference in Germany back in July. His topic of resilience overlaps my own PhD research on functional mental toughness, so I was very intrigued by what he had to share, and after recording the interview, I know you will be too. If you're considering pursuing your certification as a health and wellness coach through an accredited program, our next fast track is coming up November 9th and 10th in Colorado. You can do everything else from back home, but those are the two core days. And if you're looking to pursue the national board certification in 2020, this schedule definitely sets up your timeline nicely for that. And of course, we also have the distance learning option available that you can do at any time. All the details at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. That's CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Or reach out to us anytime with questions about anything related to coaching. Results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Now, on with the latest episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast. Dr. Brian, it is a pleasure. We first met at a conference when you and I were both speaking, and your, your research on resilience performance. It's, just, it's really fascinating. Can you share how you landed on this topic as the focus of your research and, and give us, a, I guess, a 10,000-foot view of the topic? Yeah, hey, Brad. Um, yeah, it, it, is a, it is a rabbit hole we're going down to how we turned up on our, on our research topic. And um, so something that I realized as I'm getting older each year is I'm embracing that I'm an absolute nerd and uh, <laughs> that, I love, that I love learning. And I really got into it. Uh, my background is elite sports. I'm a, an elite swimmer. Um, but I'd also have done quite a lot, a lot even in uh, like workplace talks, which would be very much more performance mindset stuff, even from a younger age. Mm-hmm. And I suppose I almost had quite a lot of confidence. Um, but even from the point that I knew that I was never the most talented athlete, but I was always one who worked harder than everybody else. Basically because I wasn't the tallest guy. I wasn't the strongest guy, but I would always be the guy who would find a way to get there. So for me, I felt no matter what I did after sport, I felt that I would be quite successful. And for me, I wanted to kind of figure out, well, what, what are these, these attributes that would make me successful, not only in sport, but in the workplace. And I began my PhD focusing on these overlaps of high achievers, not just in sport, but also in the workplace. Um, and as I started diving further and further down to that, I started looking at this idea of consistency and this consistent success that all these top athletes had these 
failures, these top entrepreneurs that were a series of failures where they managed to learn and to grow and it can come back a little bit stronger and hmm. and not a not a quick process but over a long long period of time um, and through the rabbit hole of academic papers and reading more and more into it is what brought me to psychological resilience and and it was and it's a very very topical thing even now and it was even more so i would say five six years ago and not just in sport and every week in the papers you just see oh, resilience yeah. thrown in here there Look at any any uh, organizational uh, organization magazine article online LinkedIn resilience is just that buzzword, but no one really knows what it what it means. It's just interchange with mental toughness that I know you're studying grit, uh, hardiness, and it was this real confusion over what this super important uh, resilience was, and everyone was talking about building and needing resilience, and then being in sport day to day. And even looking at field sports that I, I used to do a lot of strength and conditioning for um, for rugby teams and also GAA, uh, which is the Gaelic sport in Ireland. And you just hear these colloquialisms all the time. And you can also almost see a bit of a danger of, um, of how resilience is used uh, day to day and the almost lack of understanding from academia to practice, but also then within the practice. Um, and then I said, okay, this is, this is the area I want to focus on that I thought this is what needs uh, every high achiever, and not even high achievers, but anyone to progress and learn and grow needs to be able to have a certain amount of resilience, but also develop resilience. And, and I really wanted to dive into the literature and try to look at these achievement contexts where I was looking at sport and work primarily. And, and, what, and is resilience even relevant in this? And because resilience came from this uh, positive psychology boom. Uh, with Martin Seligman um, and they wanted to move psychology away from this what is wrong with people and trying to fix what's wrong rather than rather trying to go to this positive psychology and trying to figure out well what what are people doing right right and how can, and, and how can we uh, repeat that again and again and that's where you you see a lot of uh, a lot of this positive psychology um, coming in and that's from Martin Seligman in the in the 90s um, and for me, that's what I wanted to kind of focus on. I wanted to focus on, well, um, even through this inevitable stress, what are people doing right to be able to navigate through it that others might struggle? Um, and that's, that's really where my research uh, really started to get, get exciting. Very interesting. Very, we're going to have fun with this today. So resilience, more of a trait or a state? So... Again, being an academic man, um, I'd love to give opinions, but I'll dive <laughs> straight into the research. And what the research tells us is, we, is we're very confused. Um, but what I will say from, from my side of it, I have a, public, a publication uh, back in 2017, which is the relevance of resilience. And it's stressing the relevance of resilience across work and sport. And what I basically did is looked across uh, 52 articles across work and sport to see, well, how do we categorize resilience? And about 15% of these articles and studies focus on resilience as a trait, where the rest of them then focus on, on this more state-like developable asset that can grow uh, over time. And so when we're looking at uh, resilience, we sometimes look at it as an outcome because you're looking at a past event. Something happened. Right. What was the outcome? Was it resilient? And then straight away, we start labeling these resilient people. A lot of my research then looked in, okay, let's not just take a certain snapshot and assume, okay, this resilient person then 
what happens to them in 12 years' time. And a lot of the research did that. They took a measurement of resilience, and two years later, they assumed it stayed the same and looked at who was successful. Mm. I looked over a period of eight weeks, monitored resilience over every two weeks, and we found significant changes of how resilience changes just over time, just in relation to time, without including anything else. So I'd say from my research point of view, we followed uh, uh, IT workers, more office workers across 11 different Irish companies, um, and just that very, very simple, does resilience change over time? Um, and that's really the first port of call, because if it, if it didn't, it was a trace, then maybe organizations, sport teams need to just find out who is resilient, and they put their, their bets on them. But we're not seeing that. We're seeing that actually it's quite a, quite a dynamic process, that there are a lot of different resources that, that affect it, interchange with it. And from the positive side, then by understanding what affects resilience, then we can actually learn how to develop it and in, in which situation, in which context. Interesting. So we, we've got quite a few endurance athletes that listen in on this, as well as wellness coaches and folks just interested in wellness as a whole. So let's, let's hit both those groups. Let's start with the sport. And then we'll broaden out to, to more health and wellness here in a minute. What's the role of resilience in sport? And, and in that context, how dynamic can it be? Have you seen it be, et cetera? In, in, in sport, it's fascinating. And, and a lot of time, again, me trying to compare sport and work. With sport, you are, you're often dealing with a, with a younger sample of people. Mm-hmm. You often get younger athletes. And... From that point of view, you, especially in youth sport, you, you see a lot of change and development. And almost like looking at sport as this great vehicle um, for development and resilience development. Because what we have in sport is we have these very specific times that we can almost prepare that we know are going to be stressful. If you're running a marathon, no matter how fit you are, it's going to hurt. And that's probably the, the first side of acceptance. Right. And for, and as much as I'm a, my, my first degree is sports science and I'm an analytical kind of guy and sport is not black and white. You could have had the best run of the best training. Everything going to go on perfect and the performance just doesn't that up. Or on the positive side, on the other side, I found it myself. You learn that you don't need to have the perfect uh, build up. You don't need to have the per- everything doesn't need to be perfectly right. You can still manage to pull out a great performance on the day. So you're getting these unexpected, expected but unexpected adversities from the outcome that you can monitor individuals well. You see, you see it quite often. You see someone coming in and, and you know you need to be confident. You know you want to go in. You can't help but have these goals of, okay, I want to run under a three-hour marathon. And then whatever happens, maybe you go and you run a – you, you bonk at the end. You run a four, four hours. It's amazing in that 24 hours, the – the level you would put yourself and your own esteem of how, how good you thought you were 20 hours, four hours previous. So if following 24 hours and all of a sudden your confidence is gone, you're pushing people away, you're, you know, you're not very optimistic, your self-talk has changed. And it's very, very interesting, but it's very, very normal. But it's, it's those situations. And then following again, maybe two months later, you, you, you do another 10K and you realize, okay, two, month, you know, two months ago, that performance really wasn't reflective for one way or another. Okay, it just hurt. I've learned that things don't go well, but these past two months were really difficult, but I managed to pull myself out of this hole. And it helped me because you know, my, my, uh, my girlfriend was really supportive. My partner was supportive. Great training, training group really helped me. 
actually it helped me realize not to focus and obsess over all these small um, paces in every session. I just started running because I couldn't bear looking at the watch anymore. And you start getting a bit of an appreciation of the process over the end outcome. And I think this is where resilience is really important because you can capture these build-ups in sport. Same in a match. Sometimes, you know, Premier League teams are playing matches every single week. Um, and it's very, very interesting on not only how they deal with an inevitable failure or loss, because you're not going to, there's always going to be one losing team, but how do they respond to the next match? So when you look at psychological resilience, um, where the confusion is as well, when do you need to be resilient? And what we see is across the, the research of both sport and work, we look at these three different periods for resilience. You talk about this ability to maintain under pressure. This is the game scenario. This is in the middle of the marathon. This is your, you're running a marathon one week and the following week you're going to do another 10K. It's how can you manage to sustain through that stress that you can maintain functioning that, okay, it hasn't, things haven't gone great, but you don't just collapse in the middle of a major, a major game or a major competition. So that's this ability to buffer in the face, face of adversity and stress. But then you have this, okay, there's, there's an outcome and it could have been a loss and you're going to have some kind of, uh, some kind of disruption. You're, you're going you're gonna to feel a bit of a loss. Your, your confidence is going to take a bit of an impact. And how quick can you rebound? This rebound ability going back to previous levels of resilience and resources. So they're the two. It's being able to sustain, being able to rebound. And then your third point is how can you learn from that experience? How can you reintegrate with new learned processes? This ability to reflect on a very negative experience where a lot of the time you just want to sweep it under the carpet. Say, look, wasn't great. I'm not going to learn anything because it was a, it was a, a, a terrible performance. But it, it, takes, it takes a lot of resources and takes a lot of confidence to be able to judge in quite a bit of detail or seek this critical feedback. And where it's this capacity of resilience allows you to buffer stress, bounce back quicker, and being able to learn from it. And that's really the three points where resilience differs from just recovery, differs from just this hardiness to persist, or just being able to this growth, that actually you see the same associated resources and processes of resilience across this whole process. Because it is a continuous process, it's not very as fine-tuned as I'm almost saying it. It's a very specific just buffering, very specific bounce back, very specific mm-hmm. learning. Because day-to-day, there's so much going on. Any athlete isn't just dealing with his athletic career. Any entrepreneur isn't just dealing with his business. And whether it's going well or not, you're managing people day-to-day. You're dealing with competitors. You have a family and probably kids at home. You know, it's, uh, there's so many things that, are, that interplay. Um, and that's why then it's, it's so complex. So you've given us a few tips in there about how to develop it spliced into what you were talking about. If, if you were given a you know, two minute talk to some running coaches, triathlon coaches, uh, swimming coaches, et cetera, what would you focus on to help them or help the athletes develop more resilience? I look at resilience again as, a, as, a, as an ability to really develop through a variety of different stresses Mm -hmm. Uh, often coaches and because they have their own skin in the game want want to control a result want to control a process when they're out there in the field and they're out there on the track it's it's up to the athletes 
so I would say even go down the coaching styles, management styles that you want to create these robust, resilient, resilient athletes and employees that are able to think on their feet, that something goes wrong and they can react where it's almost our natural habit as managers and coaches to quickly step in and say what went wrong and mm. how to fix it. Don't do that again. It's almost having the, the confidence to step back and know they're going to do something wrong. Let them go through it. And then it's almost giving these little keywords and pointers to help back on that journey because it's that process of, of learning and development is so important. And you just, every single day, there's so many opportunities to build resilience and small little skills and small little scenarios. And a lot of research I know uh, Jolan Klieger is doing on trying to look at uh, developing resilience through uh, controlled adversities, especially in team sport and basketball. Um, and, the hard, and people say, you know, well, how, can you, how can you create a game scenario? It's never going to be the same as the real thing. But it's even this idea that you're trying to reenact that things might go wrong. So again, I'll go back to maybe my my own um, arena, which is swimming. And maybe you're preparing for a major championship, and you see it maybe a lot in British sports, but it's amazing facilities in the UK. But when you go and compete, the the the, the food isn't the same. Mm. Maybe even the venue you're competing at, the the, the swim down facilities to recover in between isn't the same, and athletes get very accustomed to this really great training facility, which of course is, it's great to have that. Sure, so sure. You almost have to say, you know what, we're going to go down the road to this amazing hundred year old pool and we're going to train here every Tuesday. And they're going to say, well, the showers are cold and it's not nice and the pool's a little bit dirty. And the, when the water's not on ground level, it creates a lot of waves in the pool. So you just, you know, you just give them little scenarios to make them a little bit uncomfortable, but realize actually, you're just trying to perform on the day. And it, it just takes, uh, it allows you to say, okay, control the controllables, but the majority of things are uncontrollable. And, and I think when you're talking about developing resilience, we can do it, to answer your question, I know it hasn't been just two minutes, but you can do it in a very structured way that you can create, um, create scenarios that you know are going to be predictable, um, such as lo- even losing a match. What way do we, what are our team values? losing a sale or a major contract what what are our values around things don't go well with it all time for nothing or is that just a pretty good routine for the next big uh, tender that comes up it's it's almost having the talk of we you know about putting the value on the process and or then it's actually you know there's so there's that there's a controllable scenario but then there's the day-to-day uncontrollable scenario that's going on all the time. You need to be very, very aware and see what's happening where maybe, maybe someone comes in and they, you can see there are issues and you as a coach or a, as a mentor needs to know how much do I push and how much do I not push? And, and that's where it becomes quite individual then as well. So a lot of that would apply to broader life, but let's, let's put the sport over to our, our side here out in the peripheral vision and, and let's talk more health and wellness aspects. What is the role of resilience in those areas? Where do you see application outside of sport in areas like sleep, life balance, stress management, eating better, exercise, you know, just the, the, the broader aspects of life? So if we, if we go down and uh, again, in my paper, which I mentioned in, in 2017, um, as well as looking through where is resilience on a trader state, it also goes down to, well, what is associated with resilience? 
and we found these uh, a whole load of uh, psychological resources associated with resilience, you know, motivation, coping skills. Um, but the number one resource across both work and sport was social support. It was that ability to be able to have that, 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 that support, which might be a coach, might be a family member, might be a mentor, that this social support was the number one greatest resource for resilience, not just in, in being able to stay under pressure, not just in being able to rebound, not just in being able to learn. learn. All, it's across everything, it's, it's hmm. just support, being able to ask for ask for help and i'm sure this self-efficacy comes into this into that as well oh, sure and because it's difficult to ask for help and even a lot of people might in the workplace have this imposter syndrome where you know we're, we're all starting new jobs and you don't want to say you don't know you don't know something because you're getting paid for it and and it's even down to well in a workplace or in a group how can you create this psychological safety that people aren't afraid to uh, be vulnerable and I, and I think with the resilience, it's also in a day-to-day wellness is trying to show show these um, show the research and the stories that resilience is not this dirty word of you either were resilient resilient or you weren't. And let's say if you went a lot of stress and pressure and you just couldn't handle it and you just gave up and you're saying, well, you know what, you just weren't resilient enough. And I think we mentioned we mentioned it before. We did a small conversation before we started this podcast, and I mentioned just the the issues they're having in colloquialisms in 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 the health um, in in hospitals and with doctors and surgeons who are under a lot of pressure, long long hours, and they're saying, "Well, doctors and surgeons just aren't resilient enough." And I think that's very very dangerous, and we're Absolutely. we're very to judge ourselves as well. And that's where I assume again you can see with mental toughness research as well is. It's that danger to say, well, you're not mentally tough enough. Um, and what we're, what we're seeing from, from, again, those resources, it's social support. It's not just down to the individual. Yes, we all have different capacities. We might have resources that predispose us to be a little bit more resilient in certain situations. But the importance of the environment is really uh, what's coming out of the research. And uh, Mustafar Sarkar um, and published a paper in 2015 about mental fortitude training. And they have a lovely graph where they have um, uh, challenges on one side. And you say, okay, to build resilience, you need a certain amount of challenges. And the other side, they have, have uh, the environment. Hmm. And you're looking for these supportive environments where high, high challenge and low support is going to give this unrelenting environment that's never going to build resilience. It's this high resilience or high, high challenge, but high support, high support that really cultivate resilience. And it's taking the pressure off the individual and, and back to the environment. And then if you want to say to each individual, it's the environment we find ourselves in and trying to be aware on that or, or what's happening around us and not being afraid to just put it on us that we've got to be able to bear all this on our shoulders. Actually, those people who are more resilient are able to ask for help or able to acknowledge the different types of support around them and, and, and are able to proactively seek that support more often. Um, and it's interesting to say that someone who is resilient is in a better situation to proactively seek more support. Um, and, and it's really by having experience in doing that. Where, and it could have taken a long time, right? You could, you could be really struggling for a long period of time, and it might finally end with you breaking down and opening up to someone close to you. Hmm. And if something happens, here, uh, happens again, you're probably going to be a lot more likely to search out that person again. Oh, sure. And it's things as simple as that is where we talk about this learning from past experience. 
and that's, it's almost necessary. And we talk about sport and it, it almost teaches you, especially as kids and children, to be able to rely on other team members. That if we, that okay, if we fail, we're almost you know you see in kids sport, and it's it's very. Uh, my my nephew is a is a keen rugby player, but he's only about he's only eleven years old, and uh, going to a rugby tournament, and they lose in the last match, and they're all bawling, crying, but they're bawling, crying together in a huddle, talking about it, saying you know what, we'll get it next season. It's it's just fascinating, um, but as we get older, we feel that well, we're not kids anymore. Um, but in sport, you just learn this kind of um, this pure, this pure, you know, hearts on the line, not afraid to, to, to put in a lot of effort. But also you have this kind of control support as well, I guess, by great coaches, parents. But when we go into the, the adult world, we're expected to not need that. But it's, it's ridiculous. It's just human nature, right? And well, and it's interesting because what, what I hear in my filter is, that's oftentimes the role of the wellness coach. The, the person is going through a struggle. They're, they're trying to eat better. They're trying to exercise more. They're, they're trying to do better with their sleep or, or life balance or relationships or whatever. And they bring that to the coach who helps them kind of filter through what went well, what didn't go well. And I may be hearing you wrong, but are you saying that processing piece helps to build resilience going forward because you're not just going in, you fail or you succeed and you move on, you're, you're going through it, you hit the bumps, you struggle with those bumps, and then not the, not the answer, but one of the answers is then talk that through with someone and, and process that. Am, am, am I hearing that right? Yeah, 100%. It's a, it's a key aspect of resilience, right? It's that pathway and, and, and the negative experience, stress and failure I hate the word failure. I'm sure everybody does. They always say it, but it is an emotionally painful experience. Anyone who's who's really suffered that poor and that that sense of loss, it's a painful experience. And it's even on a on a on a very basic on a brain level, it's the the pathways to being able to overcome that, to be able to explore that. And that, again, it's it's like that muscle perspective that the more often you're able to do it and the more secure you are, it's that reboundability and reboundability isn't, isn't just about getting there. It's about, well, in the day to day world, how quickly do you get there? Interesting. Um, And it's, you can talk about this emotional roller coaster and what you see about those people who, who happen to happen to be higher in resilience over time is exactly that. A lot of my research as well looks at the daily hassles and major life events and how does our resilience change in relation to daily hassles and major life events. And what it shows those people higher in resilience resources, they fluctuate a lot less. Do, do they feel failure? Do they feel the highs? Yes, they do, but not to the same, same, same aspects. They, they don't hit the lows as low, but they don't hit the highs as high. Uh, and you can talk about this emotional control they develop. They develop. And again, with major life events, what you see when this a major life adversity reaches a certain certain aspect, it almost doesn't matter how well you you can be able to manage yourself and control emotion. People who are who have high amount of resilience at certain periods of time, I'm trying to say not resilient people here, right. um, but they still feel this, they still suffer it, they still go through this disruption, but then they bounce back a little bit quicker. And even if they don't, they probably learn more than other people don't because it's very very dependent on the specific adversity. So mm. it's not, a, not about not going through this, this curve of disruption and rebounding. This disruption and rebounding is a very important piece 
of what resilience is. Everyone goes through this loss, and that, that that's why it's so important. And I think that's a it's, it's something really, really key to understand from a wellness point of view. That's okay not to be okay. Right, right. And, and then but, what you do with how, that but is for how long exactly? Yeah. Huh. Exactly. Interesting. Okay. So again, your, your research and some of the things I'm doing in my PhD are, have some fun overlap. One of the things that my focus is on is the within-person mental toughness. So I loved what you said about people being told you're not mentally tough enough or you're not as mentally tough as she is or whatever. And, and what, what I've tried to focus on is I don't even care. Like if yours is better than mine, maybe, maybe not, but can mine get better? Can yours get better? And it sounds like you're seeing some ways to do the same. So not comparing this amount of resilience in, in me to the amount that you see, but how have you found, and again, you talked about this with the athletes, we talked about this with the role of the coaching and the social support, environmental aspects, but any other just, just kind of hit and run tips on how somebody can develop their own resilience, not in comparison to somebody else, but just how can I develop my own resilience in, in some other aspects? Some very, very basic ways is uh, really just trying to look at these self-reflective processes and this awareness. So something I think is quite good is, is kind of diaries. You know, if, you, if we're talking about in the sports sense, mm. it, it, it's, it's trying to capture this initial raw feeling. We used to have a rule that we, we never, we do a short debrief and we take some notes, but we don't break it down. We do the breakdown about a week afterwards. Hmm. So we do a short debrief, write, write out ideas, and it's almost like a, you know, a teenage diary of beating yourself up, frustration. It's, it's very, very interesting. But there's no point in really diving into what went wrong just there and then because you're really in, in this emotional situation. But then you go back without even looking at those notes, and a week later you debrief it, what was good, what was bad, what you could have improved, what you couldn't you improve. And then it's very interesting having that one piece of experience where then you look at what you thought initially and you look at your, week, your post-week reflection. And then you start realizing that it's okay to feel like that immediately after. Maybe that's just the kind of personality I am sure. that I do throw all the toys out of the cot. And, it, <laughs> and, it, and it's really, really good to keep, keep a diary of these experiences. Um, and that's in sport, but that's also then going to be just day to day, maybe you have a, have a horrible fight, fight, you know, with, a, with your wife, with a loved one, with a brother, with a sister. And sometimes it's, it's hard to, to be able to process what's going on in your mind. If you don't have someone to talk to, the first thing to do is almost just put down how you're feeling, probably keep it away from that loved one. Um, <laughs> but then following up a week, a week later and you're probably made up and you just start looking at uh, your own trend of how you react. And then you start, to, you start learning to be able to manage those emotions. And a lot of this kind of emotional control is quite high with the resilience as well as then our own stress appraisals. So stress appraisal is then, well, how do we appraise that stress? That's, it's, it's trying to be able to take a step back and say, okay, um, I didn't perform well, but how much does that thre threaten my ability to do well in the future? Or is that a challenge to be able to grow into the future? Those people who, who a lot of my research focuses on the developmental aspect of sport into later life workplace. And what we looked at was just that, was uh, your resilience levels over time, but also how they were able to appraise uh, that work stress. And what we found is that it wasn't just those, uh, those employees who had a past history of competing at a high level of sport. It wasn't just about competing in sport. 
it was those people who persisted through their their high school through their secondary school exams in sport so a much much longer time of probably it was quite stressful final exams they still persisted in sport through that seemed to be able to manage stress a lot lot more where you, where you see a lot of individuals drop out from sport because okay as you get busier as priorities take charge with exams you probably aren't going to compete at a higher level if you're not in a position to be able to appraise that okay at this point in time i'm not going to compete as high as i need to but i have other priorities and be able to persist through that it's interesting that in later life workplace they're also able to go ahead and say look um i'm stressed at the time this is work but i'm going to go home in the evening and i'll figure it out tomorrow it's it's interesting that it's a, a uh, longevity in sports seems to allow people to almost create a, a perspective on stress on stressful outcomes more so than just those people who who had just had an emotional control and dealt at a high level of sport um, and I think what I put the priority on in day to day and for ourselves is that ability to be able to work through things that even though things are very very difficult the ability to try to navigate through uh, good, bad, or indifferent without judgment is very important. You, you realize as you go on, you have more and more conversations, especially as uh, wellness coaches. You, you see similar stories crop up again and again and again. Oh, yeah. And from the seat you're sitting in, you see how normal it is. But the seat there, and they all, everybody thinks that they're on their own journey by themselves. Right. And so it's almost coming to that, that realization, but also then trying to be a little less judgmental. And I think those diaries is, is a very nice way to be able to start looking in trends and how you react, be able to build um, scenarios to help you deal with it. But also that allows you to learn from, okay, this is what I'm thinking straight away, but that's just because this is the way I am. Let's just take a moment and not react on these immediate thoughts and feelings. That is so interesting. So just contextualizing this for, especially for our, our runners out there, folks that, may have done it in the past. I've got sitting just to my left here, my little running journal. I had a horrible track session this morning. I was doing 12 by 200s, 12 by 400s, didn't hit the times I was wanting to. And it was all those emotions that you talked about coming out of that, like, oh man, what's wrong with me? Body's not responding, blah, 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 blah. So what you're saying is, yes, I write that down here. I, I say, you know, bad workout. And then I can look back and see, oh, you didn't sleep as well. You, you this, you had this hard workout three days ago, whatever. And you're saying in real life, doing a similar thing. So not just for running, but when I have a, a meeting that goes poorly or uh, my wife and I, are, you know, button heads against each other with something or, or whatever it is, we're struggling. I, I'm, not, I'm not eating like I'd like to, et cetera. You jot that down in a journal. And then instead of seeing patterns like I'd see in running about this sleep, pattern or you know this workout session I don't do as well and I don't take as much recovery whatever the specifics are that starts to show itself in your personal life is that kind of what you're saying yeah you, you always see trends and I think you really got to realize that we're we're human beings and and as human beings in the moment we're we're very lazy and self-critical beings you know um, I always, I always look at it almost as, as exercise, you know, and you, and everybody knows that exercise is good for them, but nobody, not everybody does it. And you might just get, you know, you say, okay, tomorrow morning, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go for a run because I need to do more exercise. But on the moment when the alarm goes off, <laughs> you know, so if you say, look, I'm a bit tired, but I'll see what I'm like in the morning. You, you have already, you, you it's, know, it's that over. It, yeah. it's over. 
But then what you realize is, okay, the only time I have to do it in the morning before work, and it's going to be bloody early. My body is going to be screaming no. But I don't listen to body because body doesn't know best. So I know by the end of that run, I won't have regretted it. Even if the lashing rain is horrible, I'm running crap. I never regret that I still got up and went for a run. And it's almost acknowledging that past experience. So then preparing that you know you're going to fail. So you set three alarms. You have your runners ready. You have uh, maybe a shake to quickly, you know, or coffee. You're telling, you already know you're going to have a coffee in the morning. So you're already preempting small little positives to just get you out of bed. You don't think about it. I'm just getting up. And it, it's, it's creating little uh, routines around, around these things because we're in any given moment when, when we're tired, when we have a big fight, high emotion, you're always going to do the wrong thing. You're always going to do the wrong thing. It's about acknowledging that and realizing how quick you get to that point of emotion. And um, so you can quickly remove yourself from the scenario or re- remove any emotional decisions. And same in, same in running, right? If we talk a very, you know, basic psych- psychology, we're talking about concentration. A lot of decisions are done almost quite reactive. They're, they're, they're pre-thought out decisions. If, if you're running a marathon, you're trying to think, oh, will I start running? You know, will I start running any faster? Will I stop? Will I walk? These are the killing thoughts that you know are going to come. So you almost prepare yourself. You've thought, you've songs on your iPod to prepare you for those sessions because mm-hmm. you know you're going to start thinking like that. These are very, very basic. And it sounds funny, but this is resilience. It's learning from previous experience of when things are getting hard, when you're experiencing stress and you're already suffering. But how do you rebound a little bit, a little bit quicker? Okay, in a marathon, then you never wanted to walk. You're starting to walk. How quick before you get yourself running again? And it's almost important in those training runs to, to learn how to navigate yourself back from walking to running. And it's not easy when your body is screaming no. So, you know, we have so many examples to, to monitor ourselves and then just try to build routines around it. Excellent. That's great stuff. Great stuff. Okay, personal level. We're going to turn the mirror around here. How has your research influenced your life? What, what changes have you made on a personal level as a result of your academic findings? Um, yeah, it's, it's always a funny one, you know, when sometimes we wear, <laughs> we, we, we wear many hats. So when we talk to Chris, the academic, I'll say all the right things. And then if I'm, we're talking to Chris on, a, Chris on a Saturday morning relaxing, he might have different opinions. And, and I think we're, something I used to always say before is knowledge is power. But I'm starting to realize that actually it's not. It's the application of knowledge is power. Mm. Again, going back to everyone knows they need to have a right diet. Everyone knows that they need to need exercise. But it's trying to have to apply that knowledge. For me, from, from academia, I suppose, again, it's allowed me to be a little less self-critical. Um, it, it's allowed me to look at maybe my, my career in sport. And even though maybe I might not have achieved things that I wanted to do, I'm still able to realize that, that journey helped me develop uh, lots of aspects of my resilience that helps me cope with a lot of things later in life. And that actually, it's not just about being an elite athlete, you're actually creating, you know, almost elite individuals, these high performing uh, strategies and these assets and, you know, these mental processes that allow you to deal with an array of things in, in life and work um, that, that really allow you to succeed. But sometimes it's, it's not until you, till you see you're aware of the value of those things that actually you can put it into practice. And, and you see a lot of high level athletes dealing with the uh, this this career transition really struggling to to see their value mm-hmm. outside of being Chris the swimmer and right. it's very very normal to think that they think well all I know is high performance sport they have no idea how 
applicable is the ability to be driven and disciplined because when we get to the workplace, no matter what degree you have, you're kind of figuring it out on the spot because you're trying to figure, you're trying to adapt to the, any organization you're in. And, um, but actually it's not on athletes don't just, and individuals don't realize that. I think that needs to be educated. And I think maybe it's almost been inadvertently self-educated to myself, even though maybe I had this confidence, but I almost needed to explore this rabbit hole. Interesting. All right. So now you, you get to create a brief message. It, it magically appears on everybody's phone. What is that phrase or word or message sentence that you'd like to communicate to the world? What is the Dr. Brian message you'd like to get out there in, an, in a nutshell? Not a paragraph, not a book, but boom. What, what is that thing? So the one thing I've been saying, and I, I, don't, I hate to put it specifically on sport, but I'll say it first is elite sport does so much more than create elite, elite athletes. And again, I don't want to just categorize that to sport, but I think, again, this, this ability to be able to apply yourself at a high level to something, maybe it's dance, maybe it's music, and, you know, maybe these days, maybe it's gaming, computer games. But to be, the ability to be able to try to achieve something in a high-level sport creates a lot, lot more than being elite in that sport. So I'll say it again, um, elite sports is so much more than create elite, that, than create, create elite athletes. Nice. And I think that's really, really important because, again, you're trying to put an appreciation on the process and the journey over that of just the outcomes. And that's what we found in, in the research looking at resilience, that it's about being able to persist over long periods of time, not just competing at a high level. And that's what we're seeing more and more. And again, I think that takes a lot of pressure as well off a lot of athletes and a lot of maybe parents who are saying, well, you're not going to qualify for the Olympics. You're, you know, you're not going to play in the NFL. So what's the point? Well, actually, there's a huge point. And that's actually where, you know, where a lot of people who are just amazing out of college at taking tests and they can take some amazing tests, but what, what real world experience do they have? And I think uh, being able to, to really put your, yourself on the line to invest a lot of time and effort into a passion and then be able to get up and perform that in front of people, I think uh, is it, something that really develops something that we, we relish later in life and we can really thrive from. Excellent. One more question, Dr. Brian, and this is so timely. Like you said, resilience is the word right now. And so I appreciate you taking the time to jump on. Any final tips, suggestions for either individuals who are listening, who are trying to improve their own lives, or again, our, our coaches or future coaches who want to help the people around them? Any, anything that I haven't teed up with the right question that you'd like to get out there to everybody? We, we develop resilience through stress. But I would almost say we develop it through challenges and it's a high amount of challenges. So I'd say we want to be challenged. We want to challenge ourselves. But what we're learning, it, it also takes a lot of support. So for coaches, we need to try to challenge our athletes, but also we need to, be able to couple it with the right support. For ourselves, I think we need to be brave to challenge ourselves. But before we challenge ourselves, we've got to realize that we need to know that we have some support there because we're always going to be afraid that we might fail. But that's okay. But as long as you have support there, you'll be able to deal with a high amount of challenge. So we're looking at high challenge, high support to develop your resilience. So good. What, what a closer. Wow, you crushed that one. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. There you go. Under yeah, pressure. Awesome. <laughs> exactly. You're ready for, You're ready for that challenge. Well, Dr. Brian, thanks for joining us. How can people find you? Do you have a Twitter handle? Do you have an email you prefer? What, if, if people have follow-up questions, wh how do they keep track of your research and, and some of the things that you're doing over time? Yeah, you, you can contact me. I have no problem uh, on, a, on a personal email at the moment, which is chris.brian at hotmail.com. And also you can always catch me on Twitter. 
um, which I use uh, from an academic point of view, especially, which is uh, Chris Egg Snov, um, which is at C H R I S A G S N A M H, which translates to Chris Chris Swimming in Irish. Nice. And spell it again for us. It's at Chris A G S N A M H. Perfect. Perfect. Well, sir, thank you. Very much appreciate it. And keep up the good work. We'll have to stay in contact on this stuff. Sounds good. Thanks very much, Brad, and all the best. Absolutely. So interesting, isn't it? Resilience. We're hearing it all the time. It's utilized all over the place, but unfortunately, typically, it's utilized incorrectly. Now you can avoid doing that. You know what it's about. A big thank you to Dr. Chris Bryan for sharing both his time and his expertise with us. Big time shout out to those of you who attended the first ever Rocky Mountain Coaching Retreat and Symposium up in Estes Park three weeks ago. Such a fantastic group of coaches. Thanks, thanks, thanks for making it such a special event. If you missed this year's event, we have posted the dates for next year, next September, along with what we're calling a super early registration discount at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Just click the, the retreat tab, and we're always happy to answer questions about anything coaching related. Doesn't have to be the retreat. Doesn't even have to be certification. Anything you're thinking about in terms of your career, anything else you'd like to talk through, results at CatalystCoachingInstitute.com. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for spreading the word about the podcast. And remember, it's not about perfection. It's about better than yesterday. Taking positive steps, often very small positive steps, to move toward better, both in our own lives and helping those around us do the same. Make it a great rest of your day, and I'll speak with you soon on the next episode of the Catalyst Health and Wellness Coaching Podcast.